welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Jacob Eiley, and I help businesses connect with top tech freelance talent. And today, I am your host. Today, we've, we've got a really good panel. We are going to be talking about how, how using innovation uh, to adapt to market trends. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, yourself, Leo, and then, uh, and then everyone else can follow. Sure. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, my name is Leo Notchbass. I'm head of product at a company called Bontouch. We're a digital product agency that partner with companies like SJ, Swish, Postnord, and SEB to build world-class digital experiences. And uh, a lot of my focus is around product quality, uh, cross-product collaboration, and, and product culture within the organization. Super happy to be here. Innovation is something that's really close to my heart. Perfect. Thank you very much. Eric? Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Eric Sacrison. I'm a head of product leads, uh, and I'm also working at Bontage, the same as Leo. Um, and I'm also super happy to be here. Perfect. Artem? Yeah. Uh, hello, people on the line. Uh, I'm Artem. I'm at Electrolux. That's the quite, you know, that's the company that makes home appliances for 100 plus years based in Sweden. So, uh, and I'm in charge of the digital services for Electrolux, Internet of Things and so on and so forth. Happy to, to spend time with the product people today and talk innovation. Perfect. And then finally, Andreas. Uh, hey, everyone. Nice to, nice to be here. Excited to be here as well. Uh, look forward to this day, actually. Uh, product leader in, in the fintech industry. Uh, been leading uh, product development and uh, uh, been in the fintech industry for ten plus years now. So excited for this exchange and uh, and hopefully learn some some great stuff from these uh, from these guys. Perfect. Thank you so much. Hi everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how these guys and, and how, you know, big Swedish companies are able to use innovation to adapt to, to market trends. Why don't we come to yourself first, Artem? Obviously, innovation is a, is a really cool idea, but, but there is a reason why, why the majority of enterprises remains on the traditional stack. Why do you think that is? Well, from what I see through my eyes uh, over the last 10 years, right? So many flashy things been been there in the past and so many things coming. But one thing is to build something small and shiny and uh, hit some specific targets. Another thing is to adapt this into your machinery of the big enterprise company and uh, make it at scale, right? Because, you know, that's basically the price. You know, is it worth it or not? Um, and that's basically the reason. Right, so not too many flashy things been happening over the last uh, few years, I would say. I mean, flashy, yes, but something that really changed uh, how uh, things are operating, like subscriptions and so on and so forth. Not too many stuff. I remember VR, AR things, when every company been building something for Google Cardboard for 10 bucks. Every company in every industry. 
I mean, I can do the washing machine in, in uh, virtual reality if you want me to, and so you can wash with the with the glasses. Uh, innovative, yes, of course. Uh, can we make the profit out of it? Question mark. Uh, product people knows better. So um, really hard to adopt such kind of things at scale. So if you're looking for something really innovative, I mean, I would definitely drill to the company at middle size, like 200 people or something uh, for the big uh, enterprise. I mean, maybe the price is too high. Guys, what do you, what do you, what do you think? I think that, uh, you know, many times you really want to, to use modern frameworks and maybe move, uh, you know, a tech stack from something uh, that's not super exciting to something that is very exciting, especially, you know, the, the R&D usually wants that, but it might not actually align with, you know, product goals that you have um, and, and reaching certain numbers. So I think it's very often very important to realize, like, if we move to a new framework, is that going to clear out a lot of tech debt for us to make us more agile, uh, give us new users or new revenue? Because that's essentially, you know, something that actually drives value for the company, even though, you know, for us peasants that work in these teams, we, we often want to use something that's more modern and, you know, a little bit sexier and, you know, we can learn something for ourselves as well. But um, if it adds use, if it adds a better UX, if it has more revenue or users or, you know, removes uh, something bad from UX, then it's obviously uh, a no brainer to move from from an older stack to a new one. So I think that's usually the key question that we should be asking ourselves uh, rather than, you know, or whether it's just, you know, sometimes to stay um, stay on par with the market and make sure that you can uh, hire from other companies and make sure that you have, you know, security on point and, and you know, things of that nature. But innovation itself should always drive value and uh, for the company and, and the organization. Fantastic. Anything from uh, from 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 the Bond Touch boys? <laughs> sure. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, like when when you speak about innovation, I I see Electrolux as a as a very innovative company, and I mean it's at the heart of the organization. And I remember this story that someone told me once that uh, the the Electrolux vacuums. Um, when uh, when they first uh, or when you first tried making silent vacuums, uh, that was a big innovation. You could make vacuums silent. Uh, it was not a hit with the market because people interpreted the silence as the vacuum cleaner not being powerful enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and now that has turned into. A big thing for you all of you are you have the, the entire line of of uh, silent vacuum cleaners and it's something that customers want so so um i'm curious about when you say that uh, you stay on the traditional stack and, and and talk about innovation as something that is flashy uh wh what part of the electrolux business are you are you focusing on then i'm i'm uh, representing the digital part of the story not the not the mechanical, right? And when I'm when I'm saying that enterprise business will remain on the same stack, I mean the digital part of the story. I mean any enterprise AAA, if you if you're looking for the job, most likely the same process, the same tooling, the same everything, the same. Right. I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking that um, I think innovation. Uh, there there's lots of things that in digital that can enable. Uh, new ways of um, reaching your customers, new ways of using them. Uh, and, and I think that'd be really interesting to hear about, like how uh, how the digital layer on top of your products enable new types of, of 
businesses um is does everybody need to own uh, a vacuum or is that a service that you can provide? Um, you know, those, and, those types and that's of the question. Exactly. Yeah. That's the question, right? So who is selling to hmm? do the uh, who is that persona? I mean, in different regions is those uh, are those guys really interested in innovative stuff or something quiet and just working with the two clicks, mechanical clicks, right? And so on and so forth. I believe, you know, we are operating in the business, which is really, really complicated from the innovation standpoint. I mean, not too many things you can reinvent with the washing machine. I mean, the white box with the drum that spins, spins for the last 70 plus years for a vacuum that, you know, cleans the floors and so on. I mean, it's a very traditional business. However, the market is super huge and we see the strong demand on something innovative. The problem is that quite hard to get uh, the real insight from the consumer what exactly that innovation is what matters mm -hmm. and i would say that that's not an electrolux issue that's the market issue i mean take a look what other competitors are doing i mean in that space in iot space i mean forget about home appliances right so toothbrush you can connect it through the bluetooth innovative yes of course do you need it <laughs> yeah that's a very that's fair point and um, and I, it touches on on something uh that i think is really important to talk about that um the user needs uh, should always go first, right? Mm. The the innovation and the new technology uh, enables us to solve user problems in new ways. Um, but we we shouldn't just be uh, innovating for for its own sake. Um, that that is uh, that yeah, that's probably the most important part. Yeah, yeah. I also. I would like to add, I think there's a, um, it's not always to be the first and also go on the first thing that comes out or a trend or something. I think that lots of uh, successful companies, they kind of, they took something that, that was an innovation and really made it good, quality-wise good. Uh, and, and there's lots of software companies doing that, but I would, uh, would say there's also lots of hardware companies doing that. And in the end of the day, it's kind of defined their niche and they, they, they do something the customer wants. Uh, and, and I think there are like, on, on the software side, there are companies like, I mean, uh, Google, that uh, they were not the first search engine, but they did it really well when they, when they released stuff. And uh, I mean, LinkedIn was not the first job board, but they, they kind of find their niche and did something very good. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, you find something you do. You're not the first, but you did very well. And that's also lots of value in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's very interesting how some companies even have it as a strategy to not be the first. They see like, is this working? Because exactly. we're not going to spend, you know, the research and development before we see that there is revenue coming. Like Microsoft did that for many, many years. And uh, they always waited for Google to do something or for Apple to do something. And then they saw, okay, it's working. Now we can do this as well. And they copied it. You know, it might not have been the best solution, but they had, you know, the, the proof of, uh, you know, that business or that product already and always made tons of revenue. So so I think that's, uh, you know, one of my friends and I, we usually spoke about a um, uh, thing called copy improve, which was like never innovate, just copy and improve things because then people have taken that first hit and you're never going to copy something that didn't work out because, by the time you're going to copy something, you already have the proof of it's actually working and generating that value that you're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And and, and, and is there anything else um, to sort of you would want to add or say say back to that, Artem, uh, regarding what you do at Electrolux? 
well, I'm sitting in the office now and I see, you know, on the walls, uh, the slogan, in- innovate, innovate, innovate. This is like the company mantra. Uh, so I would be super happy if I would be in the condition having enough resources to wait for years to see what uh, competitors can do and then copy paste that, you know, uh, I would be super happy. But with the current market conditions and the macroeconomy trends, unfortunately, we cannot allow it to ourselves. So we need to experiment and we do not need, we do not have three bullets in the pocket. I mean, just single. So we really need to know what we're doing. And that's something that makes, uh, I mean, in this low margin business with the high volumes, I mean, extremely interesting to operate right so you really need to put a lot of preparation in front of you and then strike because we we, we cannot do this you know bam 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 one two three four five i don't have an army behind me of engineers but i have a people that can make those decisions solid and right and we are operating in some sort of trio which is basically product product guy tech guy and design so what are we doing how we're doing and how it feels and looks this is this is how we're doing that uh maybe we can talk a little bit later about how you guys doing that and especially interesting uh, andreas uh, how it's working in the fintech these days it's like the mystery for me a little bit yeah exactly and um, i mean i guess it's sort of like like you said there as well Artem, it's, it's it's a lot to do with you know i guess market research comes into a massive play when you're one of the companies to be that uh, initial sort of uh, innovator especially with something new which which kind of leads us like onto my next question which i'd love to ask perhaps yourself leo which is you know how do you sort of maximize the chances that not only you're getting innovation right but but that you're betting on on the correct form of innovation yeah i i, th- I think this touches on the previous point quite a bit i mean there's there's new uh, tech trends coming up all all the time. I think if if we had this podcast a year ago, we would have been talking a lot about the metaverse. Uh, that would have been the the latest trend that we would focus on. Uh, five years before then, we maybe would have talked about the blockchain. And <clears throat> I think today, when people say new innovations, everybody's going to talk about generative AI because that's the that's the latest thing. So uh, when you want to be on uh, the cutting edge of of new technology that you want to jump on, it's really hard to know which horse you you should bet on. Is this going to be something that uh, every consumer is gonna is gonna need and want? Uh, is this something that um, is going to be important a couple of years from now? And uh, as I as I mentioned before, I, th- I think the most important question is: Does this solve uh, a user need? Um, so. My my answer to to that question would be to not think so much about the innovate innovation or the technology itself, but really start with the user problem and look at what problems we want to solve and why it does need solving, and then uh, see if new technology helps us on that way. Um, Definitely, super. Uh... Super, super, I'm, I'm super aligned with you. And what's so interesting is where that's, you know, what everybody's been saying for generations, like we need to align with uh, solving a problem. Uh, and and the, one of the biggest companies the last year was OpenAI getting launched and becoming a billion dollar company just, you know, in a couple of days. And the funny thing is they didn't solve a problem specifically. I think they solved millions. You know, it's like a canvas. You can use it for exactly anything. So I don't know if, if that directly relates to what you're saying or is just like more of an interesting fact. But uh, yeah, strongly uh, agree on creating value and, uh, you know, solving a specific problem 
in in, in that in that nature. Yeah, and I, and I guess kind of following on from what Artem said, I'd love to sort of hear about how you use that in sort of the fintech industry and 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 what you are doing to sort of ensure that you're like like I said previously maximizing the chance that you're betting on the right innovation. I think that the primary innovation in the fintech industry uh, more comes from the shop players actually taking a whole lot of risk. Other players in the fintech industry, whether uh, we're talking about banks or we're talking about payment service providers, um, usually need to innovate with the limited set of tools that we have uh, with limited resources and really pick and choose. Uh, just like Artem said, we don't have you know unlimited bullets or unlimited sprints or developers. Um, and what you then do is um, you speak to customers, you check out market trends, and then you really need to adapt quickly. And uh, most importantly, be aware of, you know, these USPs or these, you know, weak uh, points that you might have. When do we need to address them and how fast? Because if we address a, a USP that, you know, we see on the market today, uh, that might no, might no longer be a USP, you know, in one year and it takes us as a huge company you know quite a few months uh, or quarters to develop and deliver something so um yeah how do we work with innovation in, in the fintech industry uh i think we should work more with companies such as bond touch actually and that you know big fin fintech companies very often want to do everything in-house and uh that becomes very cumbersome because we tend to use uh, backend developers, you know, that are, you know, Java, EE, uh, that's what they've been doing their whole life. And suddenly they're going to develop something, you know, that's in um, Vue or whatever. And they, they don't know JavaScript frameworks. They don't know this uh, particular framework. It takes, you know, uh, 10 times the time it would take to get somebody external, uh, you know, that perhaps can do the design, help you with that, because, you know, that's not anything else. That's not anything you have in, in large fintech corporations normally. Um, and they can help you with, you know, creating that kind of scope that you want to perhaps go ahead with later. So if you have the business case ready, um, it's always good to get external help with innovation, specifically in the in the fintech industry. That is very uh, legacy and regulation heavy uh, in comparison with you know a whole lot of other markets definitely yeah and uh, uh, and eric would you like to touch on that as well i know it's sort of something yeah, that you I and leo you, do together yeah um no but i agree what, what what you're saying i think it's uh it's difficult sometimes to know what, what to bet on and uh i also think that if evaluate a little bit the the, the risk versus the reward sometimes there's a, a small risk or a small uh uh, thing you, you need to do to try something out and when you start trying something out you learn quite a lot and you also get a, a small gut feeling if this is something to bet on um, diversification of course you, you you can bet on different things not put all your money on on, on one thing uh, and and as you all mentioned uh, to adapt also kind of see what's the result what uh, what happens when users start using it is it taking off then of course continue with it and try to improve it um, so I think it's uh, open mind try things it's probably the best way to to to, to go towards it absolutely yeah thank you for that and uh, is there anything you wanted to sort of 
to add to that, Artem, um, obviously regarding um, what Andrea said about how he uses it in the fintech industry or equally anything that you wanted to sort of add in terms of what you do in your operation? Well, of course, we, we get some, some custom design. Andreas uh, has something that is working in fintech. We got something that is working here. We can talk a little bit about that in the future if you want if you if you wanted to one thing that i agree that you know really nice idea sometimes to bring some fresh blood especially when you have the core skeleton team innovating for a long time uh, within the single domain within this uh, the same almost the same leadership right so on the different markets and so on and so forth uh, we did this trick uh, at electrolux and other companies for a few times and you know what like almost every time it works like not absolutely of course you're not reinventing the the rockets that you can ship to the moon but definitely a very positive effect in terms of how people thinking and uh, overall morale and so on and so forth so i'm with andreas uh, helps a lot absolutely yeah and, and and i guess like it's it's really sort of fascinating to, to to find out how you all individually use it at your different like uh, workplaces especially within all three of you been completely well all four of you two of you in the same industry i guess but uh, all of you in completely different industries um so so it, it's quite fascinating to know that you all use it similarly but also so different at the same time i guess it kind of it kind of leads to to the next question in the sense that you know we talk we've talked about you know how we maximize the chance that we're betting on the right type of innovation but but eric is there ever sort of a downside to adapting to market trends using innovation you know companies like bitcoin or the metaverse that we've previously talked about sort of come to mind in terms of that what, what what's your opinion of that yeah i i i think it's hard sometimes when you if you invest into something and, and you kind of try to get lots of people to follow in one direction and then it might turn out that this was not the right thing and i think uh Artem, you, you mentioned uh, um like 3d and, and and the goggles and everything and, and i that, that, that's a um, metaverse it, it comes and goes and I, I think that the 3d glasses i had as a kid when reading some some comics i mean it takes a couple of years and it comes up again and becomes a big thing and then disappears and all that so um but i think it's it can be hard sometimes to know when oh this didn't work out or, or actually the company maybe invested too much into it. so it's just like now needs to work and, and then it takes some some courage also to say hey this didn't take off actually uh, and uh, it can be for different reasons, uh, but I think it's good to have in mind always that it, it, it's a bet, but it's not always a win. Ah, strongly agree. There's there's a lot of people who, you know, and including myself, sometimes have a really hard time, you know, to kill your own baby. And sometimes, you know, you've been part of the innovation of something that shouldn't grow further or it didn't. And it seems like you know the metaverse is exactly what that is at this stage, just like Google Glass. Um, and, you know, perhaps it is, you know, just 10 years too early because, you know, the metaverse is going to grow exponentially one day, but we don't know if this is the Napster before the Spotify that just came, you know, absolutely way too early. And, you know, in the, in the, some kind of tweak is still missing. So, uh, um, I, I honestly think, uh, timing is super important. You know, all solutions are usually, you know, or many solutions that come to the market are, Normally good. Then the question is whether this is the right timing for that. And I think there's been some research done on that. And uh, timing was the key factor to to when it came to startups coming from a specific incubator. I think and 
you know, the, the, the people that were, had some luck in timing, they were, became very successful and other ones, um, you know, their specific idea, uh, would have become successful either five years later or five years earlier. And, and on the topic of, you know, being able to kill a product or service, I was very impressed when I heard, you know, from some people had a beer with people from King, I think the game, uh, publisher, I guess. Um, and they celebrated every time they killed the game. They popped champagne in the office and they had a, uh, had a blast, like a party, like, let's kill this. It didn't work. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really smart attitude if you innovate a lot to uh, be able to say that something didn't work out. Uh, so, uh, you know, your baby might not work out, but then, you know, the overall company and clockwork might continue to actually uh, work out and stay afloat in times like this. So I think that's that's super important and, and really good point, Eric. Yeah, it's super important to kill products. I love that story um, from from King. My my first uh, uh, my first product uh, was as a product manager was was uh, actually a hardware product that um, we killed. That was the first thing I did. Um, so I've that's been uh, a part of uh, what I do uh, since the beginning. Um, I, I think there are three main downsides to, uh, to doing this. Um, one is like just the cost, uh, of, uh, the, the money that you're investing in building this technology. If it, if it's not the right thing, you've, you've wasted some money. Uh, I think even more important, uh, is the, the cost of, uh, focus. You've focused on the wrong thing. You've lost a lot of time. Um, so you've, you've spent a lot of time on building things that will not help you. Uh, and and the third one is potentially distrust from your your users and from your customers. You've um, you've talked to them about something that they ultimately don't care about, or that some people cared about, and that you will take away from them because it wasn't profitable or it it didn't work for your business to support it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, even even if those are the the downsides, it's it's really important for us to make sure that we're, I mean, if we want to hit, roll the dice and, and get as many sixes as possible, we need to roll the dice lots of times. Uh, and, and if we do that, then, then we are going to, we're, we're going to waste money. Uh, we're going to waste time and, and we're going to kill products. Um, but we're going to get a lot more sixes. Um, and and uh, so I, I think those are sort of necessary evils. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, uh, awesome. I mean, I guess we'd love to hear from you as well about how you deal with that sort of Electrolux, like we've mentioned, a very sort of innovative com company. And, and, and I know that you sort of work on, uh, on perhaps maintaining the, the digital side, but, um, is there ever a downside for you, uh, to sort of, you know, adapting to the market trends and, and, and using innovation? Well, uh, I, I'm just checking my latest, uh, stack rank in, uh, Candy Crush by King. Uh, 250, not too bad. Uh, <laughs> these guys still doing a very nice match three, uh, match three stuff, right? So, uh, I mean, ah, love it. Uh, even I'm a fan of first-person shooter games. Okay, with regards to how it's working here, I mean, and I know I just uh, one thing captured my mind is you know the feeling when you're killing the baby, right? So, ah, uh, I mean, I got the same symptoms from myself and from my people from a long time. But now we just converted that to the part of the journey. You know, that's that's the price. Uh, for me, it's extremely important to be very close to product people to to monitor what is going on in the market from tech. I mean, so many flashy things coming out. I mean, hackathon, 200 uh, people there. I mean, guaranteed 10 super nice ideas. 
like you know if you're in los angeles you know just buy in and stock will will go like this right so so what are we doing is you know um i'm usually dedicating part of the capacity to work on monitoring the latest things and to prove those things on our machinery because you know if it's not working with the with the machinery under the hood of my company i mean i do not need it so my job is to always keep product guys updated about you know the the gear now what we can right so and uh, and select with them a few things that we decide to give it a try as an ab and it's absolutely fine that you know that every every first second ab is failing and people just you know not using that okay didn't fly in the trash okay went went okay capitalize 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 iteration one two three four hard yeah but that's the price of success and we know that uh, we're not the, the only one company in this market because the consumer tolerance you know right so ability to spend money on extra and so on and so forth so we have to try 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 and the last but not least it's not a family business okay so that why we're we talking about killing the babies then right so it's part of our daily daily stuff that we need to put on the table to make sure that the company is successful that's how it's working in my life so far yeah yeah super important i mean shit, I, I realize i'm talking quite a lot but i guess it's a podcast so maybe it's okay uh, but uh i agreed and then you know looking at uh just you know i think everybody's favorite entrepreneur or a lot of people at least uh, elon musk i mean he killed uh quite a few of his babies just uh, remember solar city or whatever that was called that disappeared and you know, I don't think the boring company is doing that superb. Um, and he takes a lot of risks. And he also, you know, he perhaps doesn't kill babies, but, you know, he scales back and he focuses on other things. And I think that's super important also to not only, you know, kill them, but also give them the opportunity to see if they actually grow. And if they have that, you know, organic, you know, incredible growth uh, that some solutions and products and ideas have. Um and that might be something that, you know, is missing in a lot of large corporations because um, leaders very high up tend to um, be very careful with, you know, taking investments or risks in general. And keeping the status quo means, you know, you can probably not be blamed for anything that might not work out in the end. So I think those are two things that a lot of companies could improve on in taking that risk and then also being, you know, rather quick after pivoting one or two times, seeing if it doesn't work or if it applies, you know, to say, well, it did work. And, you know, now this is going to become BAU or it didn't work. So let's, you know, slowly uh, divest from this solution or opportunity that we saw on the market. Definitely. Yeah. Go on, go on Leo. Sorry. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're um, an interesting point uh, about large organizations and, and sort of taking care of these innovations, uh, because it, it might also be a problem when something actually turns out to work. Uh, how do you um, move that into the line organization and take care of it and, and uh, work with it for a long time? And, and I mean, we have we have lots of products in our in our portfolios, of course. Uh, they need to be taken care of. They need to be developed. They need to be improved, and then they need to be end of life at at some point. And so, I I, I think in, it's an interesting discussion about like where do these innovation live? 
um, do they do they live in like a labs organization uh, on the side of the company where uh, you're trying out new new things? Uh, should it live in the line organization and takes care that sort of takes care of it in the daily, um, or or should it live outside of the organization? Maybe it's a, it's a sort of a uh, an acquisition play um, you can you can wait until a competitor uh, or a, a disruptive uh, startup comes up uh, does something and you purchase the company or you even invest in startups uh, work as an incubator I, I've seen a couple of examples of that um, which I think is a is a really interesting uh, way of sort of trying new things and affording to try new things within the organization um, yeah yeah, 100%. And, and I guess sort of just like one little other question that I had on that. I mean, Eric, if you, if you want to touch on it, that's absolutely fine. I mean, how do you think sort of, how do you sort of think like a business, you can talk about it from Bon Touch's perspective or, or from just a general perspective as well. But how do you think sort of like businesses can, can balance the need to adapt, you know, with with the potential risk of, you know, it, it, it becoming a failure? And, and how do you sort of like find a balance between the two yeah it's it's a, it's a good question i think it's um but i think it, it's uh part of the culture of a company sometimes if you're allowed to fail then 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 people will continue to try things as soon as we we, we kind of don't allow that then then you stop innovation too i believe uh and then of course as we talked about a little bit earlier you can of course improve your chances by staying up to date with what is happening around your industry, the diversification, adaptability, risk versus badge and all. Uh, so so uh, I think there are ways to um, to to get it there and, and, and encourage it um, in companies. And I think we, we have, uh, in Bon Touch, it feels like we have it uh, as a culture. It's uh, it's happening everywhere. We don't have a, a separate part. We are, for many of our partners that, that we work with, we, uh, we are the innovation partner. We are the ones helping them to innovate. And I, I don't think we are seen as a um, separate part, like coming from the outside. I think we are kind of put directly into a line organization and there we help the innovation. So it's happening inside the company and it's happening all the time. Uh, and I think that's, uh, I like that idea actually, so even if I know that uh, some companies create their, we'll call it X division of the company and there's where you try to be innovative everything. But I really like the concept that actually you try to get innovation into the daily work also. Uh, but you need to, you need to build on your culture and you need to have a psychological safety to, to make it happen, I believe. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I guess that kind of sort of nicely leads us into to sort of the next question, which I'd love to pose to yourself, Andreas. Is is you know we've 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 talked about you know highlighted the challenges faced by businesses, you know, especially uh, larger ones in embracing market trends, but but how could perhaps a smaller, maybe non-agile corporation uh, effectively adapt to market trends uh, using the help of of innovation? I think smaller organizations, um, whether they work in an agile manner or not, need to use innovation, and that's their that's very often their actual uh, way of beating Goliath. Um, that is to use, you know, uh, less rigid uh, processes in the organization to use newer frameworks that you know might help you not reinvent the wheel, which you know these initial dinosaurs in any segment um, usually have not been able to. 
they are on older tech stacks because they should be. It's more proven. They cannot even move if they wanted to. Um, um, so, so I really believe uh, it is, you know, a typical strategy for smaller companies, agile or not, to to use innovation and, and uh, build on existing technology, not reinventing the wheel, to build a, a bootstrap product um, that can compete then with whatever is existing on the market. Um, I think, and and if you take it from the large uh, corporation perspective, um, then I think you know it's very important to talk about what we just uh, mentioned. Basically, allowing innovation to you know be a part of the culture uh, and failure as well. Therefore, um, being able to uh, you know kill babies that doesn't work, um, realizing if something that you know. Should be built. Should be built in house, or should we, you know, get help from somebody to build this? Um, if you already have a team where you know the output is limited, maybe it's not the greatest thing to, you know, ask them to start to build uh, something else um, on top of the the big pipeline that they already have to work with, and the, you know, the big backlog. So uh, yeah, I think these are some some uh, you know interesting. Uh, ideas or proof of thought and uh, the way you work with innovation to to beat competition and, and hopefully not only stay on par with them. I, I think you also need to think about how you, um, so let me, let me start over. So um, in, in companies, uh, uh, in big companies, uh, a big problem might be that if you're capitalizing on your own business, uh, it can be really hard to incentivize someone to do that um, because that's that's going to be tough within the organization to to work on that. You're going to have people who are fighting back because whatever you're do doing is is hurting their part of the business. Um, or if it, if it's uh, owned by the same person and if it's part of the same budget, it can be hard to focus on that. Um, and I mean that that. The classic story of Kodak, of course, inventing the digital camera is a, is a really, uh, it's a classic example because it's a good example, right? They invent the digital camera, but it's capitalizing potentially on their their um, their business. So that's not what they're focusing on. And then other companies come along and and capitalize on that technology and Kodak uh, goes bust and, and is, isn't relevant anymore. So uh, I think you need to find ways of taking care of the products and the new businesses as well uh, when they are capitalizing on whatever you're doing. And, and that is a, it's a separate problem from actually coming up with innovation. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's, uh, you know, both uh, whether capitalizing on the revenue streams of the, the core business or whether just, you know, increasing the kind of realization from what you and the core business wants to, to, to achieve or produce. Uh, um, you know, realizing whether it's part of the long-term goal and the vision of the company, like, are you actually building upon the core business or are you, you know, building on something else that, you know, is probably not going to grow into being a huge revenue leg, uh, then you need to be careful with that. And, you know, that's, I think, um, very, that's, that's been a problem, uh, but, you know, with the latest or latest, I guess it's been a trend for a couple of years, NPA, new product approval. You know, people bringing business cases um, 
and you know security processes and, and stuff like that to to the board and having them approve each new product and investment i think it's supposed to kind of tackle that a little bit but whether whether that happens in reality or not you know it's uh, i guess uh, from company to company absolutely yeah and 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 perhaps maybe call upon one of the other two of you guys if if, if either of you had anything you sort of wanted to to add to that i mean obviously you all come from um, from larger scale companies perhaps uh, scale up to to large enterprise uh, range sort of companies but how how do you picture it from uh maybe a non-agile or uh, perspective and, and how those style corporations can like I said before, effectively adapt to market trends using innovation. Oh, you're on Sorry. Uh, yeah, I worked at some large corps uh, some time back, and and we uh, we really uh, struggled, I would say, with innovation in the sense that um, th- there there were parts of the organization were very good at it, but I would say the majority of it didn't really live that culture. So you had some very good engineers that were really innovative, tried out stuff, but the majority of the company didn't do it. And and then you don't really get the culture, I would say. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of really good examples. I mean, you ma- you mentioned some here, Leo, but it's also like, uh, I, I think Nokia is an example where they, they kind of lost uh, the mobile business over overnight, uh, over not being, uh, they got stuck in a very good business and never uh, innovated, if you ask me. They, um, they, they, Apple just came with innovation and, and passed by them. Uh, and uh, I think if you go back even further, there was a time Nokia and Ericsson were competing with mobiles and, and someone at Nokia decided to put an antenna on the side and then you could have actually mobiles in your pocket. Then it was like, boom, overnight, they become the big ones. Um, but I think that the, 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 there was a time where we were afraid of copying and not taking uh, actually good stuff from others. Uh, which I think that it's it's changing, but I think that took a long time in large organizations. It was like we need to do something that no one else is doing, uh, and I think that that is changing. So I think large organizations will be better at innovation. Uh, they are not they are not as afraid as it was before, and and they also, as we talked before, taking more and more help from um, other smaller companies that can can help with innovation. Um, so I, I'm not so worried about uh, the big ones. I think they'll they, they fix it somehow, even if there's not a straight uh, road for them. They, they they normally fix it and survive. Um, I mean, so I think copying, good at it. copying is a it's a good idea. Uh, we've seen it work really well for many companies. We we have stories in Instagram because Snapchat um, did it first, and it worked really well for for. Uh, Meta, um, but if you can't make it work uh, from a business standpoint, then copying is is not gonna it's not gonna help you. So I I did this uh, project uh, together with a, a partner uh, many years ago uh, that um, they copied something that somebody else had had already done, which was disrupting their business. Uh, we we built a product. Uh, but we couldn't make it work uh, from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint, because they had all of these agreements with uh, companies already for how they were going to handle things and coming up with a new product that would do this in a different way. Uh, they they couldn't just change those agreements. It would cost them a lot of money in the short term. And so 
they they worked uh, months on this. Uh, lots of people worked for months, and they couldn't make the agreements and the the pricing structure to work. So the the product uh, ultimately failed, and this disruptive um, uh, competitor to them is is now like a household brand. Uh, everybody everybody has their product. Um, and and this company that I work with, they they lost uh, a big part of that business. Uh, I think innovation very often comes from if it like comes from uh, like a grassroots thing or whether innovation really comes from from the top leadership. And if you have those kind of strong characters that no business, no technology, uh, or whatever realm or an industry you're in. And, and know the core business, they can innovate themselves and they will be able to actually take decisions that will say or that will have an impact on the profitability, you know, on short to medium term. Um, and that's very difficult if you are, you know, a publicly traded company. Um, but if you have a leader that really knows this, uh, who can communicate around this and say, like, we're, we're going to have, you know, some some quarters in, in coming uh, soon, that's not going to be as profitable, but we will take market share. We're building, you know, the future for the company. Um, I think that can be, um, you know, very, very, very profitable and then actually, you know, avoid Kodak examples uh, and, you know, more become, uh, have, have a kind of experience such as IBM had when they went from uh, powered by the hour, essentially, to a uh, service providing company. Um, and, and um, you know, many examples have exist of, of companies that has had, uh, you know, a very strong leader and then that leader uh, for, you know, any reason disappears and some kind of, you know, politician or, or sales guy takes over and you immediately lose that edge in innovation. And that's also the, you know, the time where you're going to start losing market share and, and income essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it would be kind of sort of interesting to, to sort of, we touched about it before as well, like um, sort of utilizing copying from, from other companies. I mean, at a big company like Electrolux, uh, Artem, do you ever sort of take inspiration from, from what other smaller uh, startups, scale-ups, uh, innovating companies are doing? And do you ever sort of take that into to what you do going forwards at Electrolux? Uh, not in my, I know that the company is doing some things like this, but you know, uh, I'm here for the last five years, but I, I haven't seen how exactly those initiatives been spinned off. Uh, but you know, since I still see the logos, it's a multi-brand company. I believe, you know, this business still exists. Know nothing about that. Do not want to speculate. What I know for sure, I've been working in the company's small ones that had been acquired by the big ones two times. And both times it happened, the CEO or another big guy had been coming and saying on the one thing, stay yourself as long as you can, because this culture will eat you every day, every day. And you need to resist, resist, resist. You know, you will get some support, you will not, but still. I mean, I mean, this is just how it works. The big, uh, the big things, it's small things, right? So, and uh, as Andreas mentioned, if there is no one who drives the whole thing, the whole machinery, there is the chance that uh, you know the whole thing will be will be burned out, especially for the traditional companies with the, you know non-agile whatever uh, style of working, which is not bad. I mean, as long as this business is healthy, I mean, uh, and operates according to the law, why not? You do not have to be in, innovative every day, you know, to survive, right? So you know, it's not a mantra. Uh, so my five cents, just you know, every a lot of information being spoken, I uh, I would agree with a lot of things. Just to bridge us to the to you know to 
to something else to discuss. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I think today we've had a, a really sort of fascinating conversation around innovation. It's been sort of really fantastic to hear four completely different but also very similar perspectives. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Jacob Byerly and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at jacob.byerly at evolution-nordics.com or visit our website at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.